Yes! What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Rugby Muscle Podcast. I'm your host, as always, TJ. Today's episode, we are honoured to be joined by Lee Eldridge, strength and conditioning coach and performance director now, actually. He's not just a strength and conditioning coach. He's, he's made a little bit of a transition into a bit of the business world, as you'll hear on the podcast. Really, really, really interesting and fruitful discussion. I, I enjoyed this discussion quite a lot, and in spite of the fact that I felt kind of out of my depth, because Lee is like an OG of the game. like He's been around in strength and conditioning for a long time, and it shows. He's accumulated a lot of knowledge, but not just knowledge in the, in the labs and in the science of it, but actual practicalities as to how you can make everything work. And with the situation that we find ourselves in, I, I don't always want to talk about it, but inevitably it keeps coming up because it is all in inclusive and all suffocating the world that we are in right now you know you can't just get away with it so even if you are listening to this in the future where hopefully we're out and using gyms and stuff if if this future bloody does exist you will still get away with a lot of information that you can use and apply to your training and how to become adaptable because this isn't the first time we've had to be adaptable and this isn't the first time he's ever had to be adaptable in fact we discuss situations that are far worse than this and how he's come out the other side and been better for it. Hopefully you guys will be better for listening to this as well. I really do think that you'll enjoy it. And if you enjoyed this episode, of course, go ahead and give us a five-star review. Check out any of the notes at rugby-muscle.com. You can also sign up to Team Rugby Muscle, rugby-muscle.com forward slash team and get world-class strength and conditioning delivered directly, directly to your phone, even if you haven't got a gym. It still works because we are adaptable. And so is Lee. And I encourage you guys to go follow him. He's got a real interesting YouTube channel and Instagram page. Lots of real good information there that you guys will be able to apply to your training. But without further ado, let's get into this episode. This episode, actually, I don't know what episode it is, but who cares? You guys are going to enjoy this one with Lee Eldridge of the Athlete Tribe. All right, so we are live with Lee Eldridge. Lee, um, I'll have already bigged you up uh, in the intro beforehand, just so you know. So you don't have to give out your entire resume or anything, but... I would like to know if you could put your like if you could describe yourself in a sentence or two about who you are, what you do, how did you go about doing that? Okay, so currently I've just finished uh, my latest role as head of academy for Geneva Savet Ice Hockey Club um, in Switzerland, mm. where I was overseeing the twenty seventeens and fifteens program, um, and the reason why I was kind of based out in Switzerland is that I moved in 2016 to work for a company called Hintzer Performance and their main athletic population is that of sport motorsports athletes so they're very big in Formula One, Formula Two etc and mm. I moved out to Geneva to work with some younger drivers and that kind of didn't really work out and then what happened was that I transferred more into their corporate side of their business or their offering. Mm -hmm. And I got to work with some business leaders, CEOs, um, C-suite executives, right down from a, from a, a top bottom scenario. So that was a really interesting process to take my learnings from working in elite sport and how to apply that in a, a business context. And previously, before that, I spent six years 
as a strength and conditioning coach for London Welsh Rugby Club, where I worked kind of through the through the ranks as senior SNC. I did a year as head SNC, and then because obviously we were bouncing around from the championship to the premiership, and then that was the really the start of I'd say my career in terms from paid roles but before that you know I did internships at Fulham Football Club um, Watford Football Club and completed my master's and my uh, degree in sports sport and exercise science so that's, that's like kind of it in, in, yeah so that's kind of it in a in a long form of a of an introduction yeah I, I, I like that um, I'm intrigued to know about the business side of things and and how you found yourself there or how you how you enjoyed that and coming straight from like you know quote unquote in the trenches for so many years to then sort of changing the landscape how's that so i wouldn't say that i was naive when the role kind of got changed but i thought it would be easier than it was so you know you have a business guy or or girl that needs to improve their their different areas of their their life so we start with your physical development for example mm-hmm. and what i soon realized that it's not just this it's not just from an athletic point you're just concentrating on your sport and that's where you know if i think back to my time at london welsh you know i met some really intense professionals that 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 was their that was their job so they pretty much thought about it 24 7 to then you go into working with a ceo that's probably lacking in sleep their nutrition's not great they're probably receiving maybe two three hundred emails a day plus meetings plus all the other pressures that come along with running a company and i had to take a step back and really think back to right what's what's the most important things so from our point of view, from an athletic population, I think we're always looking at this idea of the one percenters, the marginal gains. And sometimes we move away from those really important foundational fundamental processes. So it really got me thinking, how can I um, create this need and this why for, for, for these types of people to do what they want to do? Now, don't get me wrong, we had... You know, I, I helped out triathletes, Ironmen, all those, all those in between, and that was they were the opposite. You know, how can you go and train 15, 16 hours a week plus do a 60, 70 hour week plus try and see your family? And it was a real kind of match and match about right. Well, how are we gonna, how are we gonna plan? How are we gonna periodize? What are we gonna do? So that was kind of it in a, in a long form again. Yeah, I mean that's massive because. <clears throat> I think a lot of my work is dealing with mostly semi-pro or amateur players. I mean, if anything, m- most of it is going to be amateur players. So it is a lot more about like what you were saying, taking a step back, looking at the, the real basic processes. Even I apply a lot of essentialism or um, 80-20. And I think that covers a lot of like, because so many people just need to get moving or need to just to focus on the few things that matter because they just don't have the time for the rest of it. Whereas when you've got the luxury of professional athletes, then it's about, you know, 
put in all the, the special fancy things on top of the basic work that they should already be doing as standard? Yeah, I think that I love the 80-20 rule. I'm a real big fan of the Gary Keller book, The One Thing, where basically yeah. you just keep moving, you just keep you know, taking things away. Um, and it's always interesting that you'll have conversations with, for example, being in a de- department, other coaches will say, well, why are you not doing this exercise? Physios will always say, why are you, why are you doing this exercise? Whereas actually it's really, you know, it should be, why is there any exercises we can take out? Is there anything that we, we're doing that we don't need to do? So we're just trying to simplify the, the, the program as much as possible. Um, and I think that, especially if you look to semi-pros or amateur athletes, you're trying to, re, you know, what's the one thing that you can do for nutrition today? What's the one thing that you can do for sleep? And you just build around that, however you, whatever your model is, whether it's pillars, whether it's a circle, whatever it's going to be. And you just build on top of those kind of things that keep consistently helping you and supporting your performance. Yeah. And a lot of that will come from tracking, tracking data, tracking as much as you can as well, because then you've got some indicators. It blows my mind the amount of people that just, they're essentially just throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks and they have no real idea to find out. Even, even if that does stick, there's <laughs> still not a real defined process for identifying what's working and what's not. It's, yeah. It's a big problem. That That's one of the the kind of not to prelude you but i think that's one of the biggest changes that we've seen in strength and conditioning in in the time that i've been involved so i've worked in clubs that probably haven't had the best funding so we've always been trying to work out what's what's the what's the best you know kind of where, where's the best place to put our financial investment so whether that be on testing equipment whether that being on all lots of different things Mm -hmm. and this drive to improve or increase the amount of technology that we use in the gym and on the pitch and during games and how that can formulate your program design all that's happening now is that it's just making that technology cheaper and cheaper down at the lower end so you know there's no reason why now if you play rugby that you can't gps your your match day, you know, for £200, you can have your own GPS monitor in the back of your shirt and you can see what the pros are doing and what you're doing. And if that's your goal to become a professional, well, here's your line and this is where you need to be at. And that's been a huge change over the last, you know, 10 years. We went from a jump mat. Now we've got, you know, we can do that on our phones. You've got velocity bar devices left right and center that are quite affordable for the data that it can give you yeah that's massive and i guess that leads us straight on to the the next question of um <clears throat> what changes have you seen because you've obviously got quite an uh i say relative in terms of strength and conditioning it's a long career because strength and conditioning itself like we forget that this hasn't been around for you know, in, in, especially in rugby terms, where where obviously we are, we specialise in, but in any sort of terms, it has only been around for what twenty, thirty years, really, outside of track and field. So, yep. Yeah, so, I spoke to uh, one of the ex players at London Welsh, and he spent 
17 years at top flight rugby. So he started when he was 18 and he finished when he was 20, 34. And it was only really that he said around the 2000s that they started to have more structured based programs. So from a rugby point of view, you know, it's, it's, it's in its second decade. Um, yeah. And, but what, so that's, that's great for us because we're still fresh eyed, but also what we are needing to do is go back and look at, you know, Verkachansky, Bondachuk, Ishwin, all those types of guys. And then also look at the other uh, successful strength and conditioning coaches that have done it, you know, with the All Blacks, with Australia, with England, and look at all those guys and see how they've applied that and then what we can apply from them. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think the Verkashansky and the the old like the old methods that we can learn from are huge simply because they're still around. And the fact that they're still around shows that they've been around for, what, you know, 30, 40, 50 years or so? like a long time compared to because we have a bias. I don't know if it's just us as humans or just people in general, like that want to sort of stand out or cause of social media, but we have a, we have a significant bias towards stuff that's uh, new. So like, you know, you look at your Instagram post that your Instagram schedule today or your feed and, and you see posts from someone that says, Oh, look, I've tried this training method. You're going to bias that ahead of something that's stood the test of time for 40 plus years. And that doesn't really make sense to do that because the, the longer something's been around indicates the longer it's going to carry on staying around versus something that's a bit shorter. And I think that yeah. it's a lot easier. Yeah. To, you know, go on. we're in a, we're in a, an interesting industry because it's ever changing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so for example, spending the last year or so in an academy, it's been when I previously worked in an academy, Instagram wasn't really around. So it was, it was quite easy to speak to coaches and, and sorry, not speak to coaches, but speak to players and explain, right, this is what we're doing. We're building towards this. Whereas now we get, you know, guys coming to me and saying, Oh, look at this video of this, you know, why are we not doing this exercise? Why are we not doing that? You know, look at this athlete doing whatever they're, they're doing, and you're still trying to, I'm still trying to say that, wait, well, well, you need to look at the con- context, you know, what's their training age, what's their history. And it, it becomes quite a challenging discussion sometimes. And I think that's, that's where you need to make sure as a coach, you don't get caught up in this whole idea of, of trying to recreate things. Whereas if you can keep going back and keep looking at, the old books and keep reading through the tried and tested techniques and then apply different things or put your spin on it, then it's going to only make you more successful as a coach. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think even, and and like as a player as well, it's having a coach or having a program that you're, you're sticking to is huge because of that because you you don't get to look at Instagram every day and go, oh, I'm going to do this today. Oh, I'm going to do French contrast training just because. And 
like having a coach is a good sort of barometer to say, right, can I do this? And they're like, oh, I, I like that idea, but it works because of this. But right now we're focusing on something else. And it almost, it's already, you know, we've gone back to uh, what we were talking about before about the, you know, the essentialism or the one thing it's, you know, the process of, you know, identifying all of the things that you can do and then re- eliminating all of the things that you don't need to do right now and then focusing on executing. And if you're constantly worried about all the different things that you can do, you're never going to be able to execute. And that's yeah. kind of, the, it's weird how the job is now not telling people what to do, but a lot of telling people what not to do. Yeah, I think that I really like Ashley, jo- sorry, Ashley Jones's work where he looks at the four levels of athletes. Yeah. So you've got, you know, he calls level one, which is your academy player. You do exactly what I say. You, you, this is your program, no arguments. Then you've got the guy who's been there for maybe two, three years. You give them their program and they can come back to you and have a little bit of a discussion but pretty much 95% of it or 90% of it is, is programmed by you. Then you get the longer guy who's been in the, in, you know, the game for six, seven years, starting to learn his body. And now it's probably, let's really sit down. It's 50, 50. I, I need to do these major lifts or, or this is the work we want to be doing and how are we going to apply it? And then obviously level four is the guy, you know, that's coming to the end of his career. Body's pretty broken right, we sit down together and say, what, what can you actually do and what do you enjoy doing? And then we build the program around that. And I think I, I really took that from my time, you know, especially working at London Welsh, where we would have, you know, the 18-year-old, 19-year-old guy coming in the same session as your 33, 34-year-old individual. So that, that was a real kind of, to take a step back and look at it as a, a four-level process. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think that's, that's, that's a real good point. And um, I guess it kind of leads me into um, the next question of, because you were working at London Welsh back in the day, is there, are there any things that you still go back to from when you were working with London Welsh? Or are there any things that even maybe you implemented from when you very first got into, is, was it, did you say you were a Fulham when you in, interned? And when you yes, first got into s and Yeah. So I think... As an intern, you you come in and obviously you're super keen and the roles that you get are probably not very good at all. Um, and it's is just an observing. All you're doing is you're just trying to take things in. And really what you're trying to do is you're trying to build a relationship with the other strength and conditioning coach or the, the coach that's got lots of experience so that you can have more detailed discussions so we're fortunate now in in this day and age that you can Instagram or DM somebody or drop them an email and, and have a conversation around, you know, diff, a different sport. So, for example, I moved into ice hockey. Um, I was lucky enough to give a couple of contacts from NHL guys. So I contacted them and I just spent, you know, half an hour to an hour talking to them about, you know, what are they doing? How are they doing it? And that kind of really, really helps you to formulate an attack plan a plan of how you're going to go about it and for me I think that one of my biggest eye openings is coming in and having uh, a head coach on top of me who started to talk to me about 
personal development books about communication skills, about all those different types of things, plus those foundational books that we've just mentioned. And you would, I was just a bit like, for me, I did my sports science degree in the early 2000s and it was sports, I'll be fair, it was sports science orientated. So we were looking at, you know, Mercado catch and catch, physiology, mm-hmm. biomechanics, not really much about strength and conditioning at all. And then it was like, right, well, you were kind of left to your own devices. Then obviously, you know, you're Poliquin came along and all the coaches went through their level one, level two Poliquin and everyone was training like Poliquin. And it was just kind of, you're trying to take on board all these different types. And one thing that has always stuck with me, that's always down to your principles versus your methods. And you've got to have strong principles, but be willing to deliver it in different ways to get athlete buy-in or to to fit the environment you're in. Very few people are, especially under the top level, have a all-inclusive gym. And what I mean by that is, you know, enough squat squat racks for all the players, or to have, you know, three players at every squat rack, to have loads of space to be able to do sprint drills and resisted stuff, all this kind of stuff that's excellent and we would love to do. But if you don't have that environment, you're not going to be able to do it. And that's where, you know, you still keep coming back to those principles, principles, principles. And how am I going to apply it in this environment? I think that's been huge for me. And it will will stick for me for whatever, whoever I work with. So, you know, if I'm working for a CEO or an executive, again, right, here, here are my principles. But this is the way I've got to change my methods to get that individual to buy in to what I'm saying because at the end of the day we are coaches but we're huge salesmen we've got to sell this to the, the individual because if they don't buy it they won't do it yeah that's huge and I've got a few points I want to piggyback off of that I think that last one whilst it's fresh in my head about being a salesman it's so so huge and it's like so important that I think like both as an athlete and as a trainer like you the coach client or the coach athlete relationship or coach client doesn't, you know, same thing, um, is massive. And it's so still sometimes underrated. I think that, um, like I, I interviewed a professor of strength condition a while back, Jacob Reed uh, over here in the States. And I asked, you know, I've got a few pe- people that are asked, that asked me to ask him, you know, what's the, what's some, what's the biggest piece of advice you could give someone that wants a long career in strength and condition. And he was like, Oh, just be a likable person. be a good person and then you know bosses will want to hire you because they want to get on with you um you know athletes will want to train for you and do what you're saying because they get on with you and and how important that relationship is just huge yeah it's you sometimes what the way you coach is so much more important than what you coach so we all know that you can have the world's best program and if it's done poorly it's not as good as a poor program done, you know, to the best, excellent way. Yeah. So I think that's, he, he's, he's spot on. You, you, people need, people buy things from people they like. And that, that's the same with the athletes that you work. You try to create a relationship, a working relationship that 
you know down the end of the line the idea is that when you're not looking what are they going to be doing you know in a professional environment we see the guys from say eight o'clock in the morning till two three o'clock in the afternoon outdoors of those times we don't really know what they get up to um with me in the academy i'd see them for maybe two three hours every evening outside of that i can't guarantee so we're trying to sell them that yeah it's a career but it's a it's a, an athletic lifestyle for, for sure yeah and I, you see it with um like the highest level coaches in any sport you know for alex ferguson um pep um are two guys that really bring it to me but it's like how they are just everyone in the club seems to love them and so you know you could have the best tactician in the world but if if people just think you're a bit of a dick look at Mourinho look at his look at his failings for as great a tactician or as a good a coach as you think he could be if people don't buy into what you're saying then they're just not going to do it and I think yeah you know it's, it's, it's just really really huge and then going back to what you were saying about the systems versus uh was it what did you say because I, I always call it um strategies versus tactics so okay. you can have yeah. lots of different tactics right but they have to fit into your overall strategy and if you're just doing random 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 tactics without any strategy you're never going to succeed and it's the same thing um uh, similar to what you were saying i guess it's like having an overall system and f- figuring out how things fit into that system versus uh, just using different tools or different methods. Yep. Yeah, so, your, my principle is that you know strength is the foundation for all support, all for sports performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we might not be able to. I don't know. We might not have a squat rack. We might not do this. You might be. You know. You might have issues with your body. You might not be able to do certain exercises, etc. So, if we look at that continuum. You know, the gold standard, some people might say, is you know, a barbell back squat. Okay, we can't do that. Well, what's the next thing that you can do? Well, can you box squat? And we just basically work down yeah. until it might be, you know, a leg press. It might be pushing a prowler. It might be a dumbbell step up. But that we've still got that principle. We're just maximizing what you can do. And that's stuck with me for ages that... Everyone's individuals, but you can put them into groups. And I do think that we we sometimes overemphasize this idea of individualization. And what I mean by that is that, you know, so for example, we could be doing an upper body session. So we're still doing that as a group, but some people are bench pressing, some people are board pressing, some guys are doing dumbbells. Some guys might be using bands because, you know, they're knackered, but it doesn't really matter. We're still doing it as a group, but there's individualization in that session. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. And just in general, the principle of being adaptable um, within your principles is, is huge because, as you say, like outside of, like, I can't think of any, like even the NFL, like they still have, like that, they're probably the highest played players that are going to take their S&C like, per, per athlete as seriously as possible and how they're going to get the, the, the most benefit from that. But even those guys don't all like, – they don't all – not every single player has their own personal trainer with them at all times 
making sure they get the perfect workout. Sometimes they've got group workouts. Sometimes they've got, um, you know, sessions at home that they're just been told that they've got to do. Sometimes that, you know, they're not even allowed to be seen because they're in quarantine because of uh, a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> but yeah. it doesn't mean that the systems are all abandoned or the philosophies are all abandoned. It means that you've still got to figure out, right, how do we adapt? How do we still uh, make the best out of all of this stuff? Yeah, I think that to go back to this worldwide virus, it, it's a tough time. You know, there is, I'd imagine, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches panicking a little bit out there because they don't see their athletes day in, day out. They don't control, like, especially not maybe at the, the, the elite level, the top, top level, because how easy it put a heart rate monitor on right well that's that guy's sessions he's completed at this time he's done all his monitoring mm-hmm. you know maybe that next step down whereby you haven't been able to give everyone a watt bike a set of olympic dumbbell barbell etc cetera, etc cetera. um and i think with nfl it must be it's a sport that would allow you to do so much physical development because of the time they have off you know yeah. during the season they play from what september through to february um you know and not, not even that if if you don't make the championship game etc and then you then you're kind of left to your own devices until you kind of come back in um and i spent some time in america at img performance institute and the nfl guys would could come in in the summer and do their you know, their top-ups, whatever they wanted to call it. And I was quite surprised sometimes with, you know, how badly in shape these professional athletes Mm -hmm. were. Um, And it was kind of like, wow, you've got six to eight weeks of really tough work because you haven't maintained and kept up. And I think that's similar to maybe the fight industry whereby we've seen you know ricky hatton or fatty hatton or yeah you know whereby for, for for 16 weeks they are you know 24 hours 150 percent in and it and then they do the fight and then they just go off the off the radars um and i know that w- with the ufc that they're obviously have got a performance institute and they're trying to educate that actually it's a year-long process of being a fighter it's not right you've got to fight in eight weeks here we go. It's more like keep keep that engine ticking, keep topping up. What can we develop? How can we improve your strengths? How can we make your weaknesses as good as possible? And then you've got a fight, and then it's like, right, well, we just do exactly what we're doing, but we just ramp it up and get you in in, in prep mode. Yeah, I've got I've got Bo, who's the head of performance from the UFC, coming on the podcast soon. So that's and that's something that I really want to talk to him about because it is, you know, as much as you want them to keep their athletic development all year round and all this stuff, I, I do think there's something to the fact that they have time away and time off from the sport just in terms of like longevity. Like you look at like, I mean, French rugby is the perfect example for potentially like a little bit too much, right? Like they, these guys barely get a break and, and it's brutal as well. And I think that there's a, there is times where, just unloading and that and that's there's the balance right you can unload without just turning into a, a, a blob and turn into ricky fatten but there, there is something to having sustained times of just maintenance which you know isn't 
you shouldn't be regressing, but still time away from your sport and time just maintaining is something I think is important with all of that. Yeah, so that's why from a, a premiership, an English premiership point of view, you know, there's a minimum four weeks off. I think that it should be, I think players are trying to push for five weeks. Um, and, you know, the prime example for, for me was with London Welsh, whereby we got promoted. So we won the, the championship. And I think that that game was on maybe the, I want to say the 31st of May. Mm-hmm. And then and then we were like, right, okay, well, premiership starts. And then we we're pretty much back in within three and a half, four, probably four weeks. To, to stay with stay within um but and that's no time at all and it's it's, it's a tough tough sport that I, I was speaking to a current premiership player and they were just saying that this recovery during the week is just a huge emphasis now because the game is just becoming more of this kind of set play physicality just smash 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 whereas maybe four or five years ago, it was a little bit more about mobility, a little bit more about running around. And now, whereas before they might be able to get something done, maybe, you know, on a Monday afternoon or on a Tuesday morning. Now they're taking that a little bit longer to recover that little bit longer to, to kind of get their body back in one piece to then go again. If we think of all the sports, I'd say that rugby is up there by far as one of the most physically demanding from a contact sport probably next to, next to rugby league some people might argue rugby league in terms of just the the pure right one out collisions Impacts, yeah yeah um and and i think that's where the the research the evidence and the best way to recover and how you you know what we can do as from our point of view to get those guys back into shape as quick as possible to basically go again um and yes, it's a real tough, a tough thought process to kind of to go through. Um, and that's where, you know, you're so lucky in NFL and in um, NHL because they do have long off seasons. They do have, well, especially in hockey, they have super intense in seasons. Um, and yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the way it goes. Yeah. And I think that's um, sort of, is the, the, the balance that, or I guess it's part of being adaptable, right? Because each, you know, if, you, if you're in the French League, that's what you've got to deal with. Or if you're in uh, the NFL, like you've got to deal with trying to stay in shape. So no matter what, you've, you've got to adapt to the, um, to the environment that you're given and the environment that you find yourself in. And so it is, it is a balance. And, and now, you know, we've all got to adapt now to this um, – current uh, coronavirus crisis and see how we come out the other side. My other concern I'm th- thinking uh, with this is um, how, because a lot of guys and players are going to be trying to do some sort of preseason right now, because whenever the, um, you know, whenever this all finishes, we're going to go out and try and pl- get going, especially the high level athletes going to be trying to get going and playing games straight away. But then if if you say if we start the season early or start the season straight away and we've just spent this whole time in quarantine training our butts off then there's a potential for this season being like even longer than a year and so how do you maintain that sort of level of focus and it's, I don't know it's a challenge that I guess 
we're going to have to trial by fire kind of thing, unless you have any sort of ideas. So I think it's, it's very hard to recreate games. We know that for, if you look at football or rugby or any other sport. So I think there's probably a couple of, a couple of concerns. One is that you, you drop them back in to finish mm. off a season. For example, Premiership Football World. Now everybody's then they're like, right, well, we've got to try and get this done as quick as possible. So they're going to cram in loads of games. Well, that just opens up players for, for issues. We know that the best way, for example, to reduce your chance of a hamstring issue is, is exposing yourself to high-speed running in a gradual volume step-by-step process mm. and you're just going to drop guys in and like you know you can just see people's groins and hamstrings rugby are fortunate enough especially i think because they've they've said that hey, it's not going to go ahead so basically guys are kind of in that off season now if you're a amateur in england you probably missed maybe three weeks of the season if you're a premiership player you probably missed five six weeks i would imagine that a lot of the premiership players are like well, okay, it's a good chance to get my body to recover because, you know, home training, as much as everyone's trying to glorify it, that, yeah, we can keep going, we can we can get on. Nothing really helps or nothing develops strength with weight on the bar, you know, a bar on your, a weight on your body, sorry. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the next thing. And then the next, sorry, and then the next point is, yeah, you're you're right, like... You play all these games in the football, for example, and then you have four weeks off and then August comes around and you're, and you're back into it. And the players are going to be like, wow, this is, this is not, not good. Um, and how they're going to do it and how they're going to manage it is, is going to be interesting, um, to say the least. And I, I think that football is, is a, an interesting one. Obviously, a lot of other sports, they've already, you know, Wimbledon's cancelled, the French Open's been moved, all the golf has been cancelled. The Olympics. You know, the, Olymp- the Olympics yeah. has pushed back. Well, now it's going to be in the same year as the World, Cha- World Champs. I was speaking to a, a female professional rugby player and she was saying, well, that's, re- you know, th- that's going to be a bit of a nightmare for them because that's the same year as the Rugby Women's World Cup. Yeah. So is that going to compete with, with some of their sevens players who want to play in Tokyo? And, uh, and what, logistically, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a nightmare. It's a big, 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 big puzzle to really kind of figure out. Yeah, it's like we say, another thing that we've got to be adaptable to. Um, and I guess with these challenges, it leads me on to my next question that I was going to ask you about challenges that you've overcome as a strength and conditioning coach, especially being in the different environments that you've been in, are there any that sort of stand out and um, ones that you feel really accomplished for overcoming? Or maybe um, ones that you even struggled with and still don't overcome or haven't overcome? I think that, I think there's, we're always going to have struggles and we're always going to have this challenge. Um, but there's two, two for me. One is I, I was coaching obviously at London Welsh and then we made it into the premiership and then they kind of came along and said hey we don't think you've got enough experience to work as a head coach in the premiership we still want you to stay 
you know, you've done a great job. We, we need to get someone else in above you that's had experience working at that level. Now, I, I took it, <laughs> I wouldn't say I took it the best. It was kind of something that I really had to, to kind of step back and say, right, well, do I want to stay here? You know, what's the relationship going to be like with the coaches, with the players? Um, yeah, I was going to ask, well, what, did, what did they base it off of? Just that, you know, I was, I was pretty young. I was, what, 27? Mm-hmm. Um, and probably three years into the role. And they wanted a guy who, you know, had worked at the top level, had, had international experience. And so that was, that, that was a challenge. And I'd be fair, I, I didn't take it that well. And then the first kind of three, four weeks you know, our relationship was, was kind of, kind of rocky. And, uh, he pulled me to one side one day and he just said that, you know, look, you're, you're my co-pilot basically. So if you don't tell me that there's a mountain in the way and we crash, we're both going to die. And I kind of stepped back and I thought, well, okay, you know, that makes sense that if I, if, if we don't work together, there's two things going to happen. One, I'm probably the guy that's going to have to leave. Or two, both of us are going to get completely removed. And as it comes out that then this developing relationship, and now I probably look to him as probably the guy I'd go to if I have any problems. If I'm really struggling with something super knowledgeable, super experienced, super passionate about the role I would always turn to him and say look I've got this issue and that's that's a big thing for me that this idea of a fixed versus growth mindset that yeah okay I could have seen it as an obstacle or I could seen it as a kickback or you can use it and accept it as a challenge now I think that we we all have influences and that's a really interesting one for me when people say what's your philosophy well I think your philosophies developed as you go through your coaching careers, the environments you work in, you know, the people that you meet, etc. So it's quite hard to basically say, right, this is my this is my philosophy, this is what I'm gonna basically, you know, live or die on. And I think that was one that's really kind of stuck with me that you know everything happens for a reason and that you know you can always learn from whatever environment you're at even if you're working with the worst athletes or the worst coaches you can see why they're the worst and you can say right well I know that I don't want to coach like that or I need to inform that athlete better or I need to the next athletes I get in I'm going to make sure that that doesn't happen and I think that was you know a huge challenge that I didn't necessarily I overcome but I didn't say I like you know it it, it was kind of like one of those make or break moments basically yeah and the second one is is more of like a a personal challenge that so I'm dyslexic so that's one thing that's really kind of struggled from my day-to-day processes um and kind of especially at university and and the challenges that come along with that and now, sometimes, you, if you imagine the amount that we kind of type and text and how, that's our main form, WhatsApp groups and all, all that kind of situation, that, that's mm-hmm. been a huge challenge for me. But 
the huge positives of that is that I've always thought to myself, how can I be better in other areas or making sure that, you know, I, um, I get things done. I, I'm always prepared. I'm always prepared. I'm always prepared for sessions, but, 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 you know, I'm always on, I'm definitely, I've never very rarely, you know, things happen, but I always get to sessions early. I've always set up the, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And those are the key things now that, when I have interns that I still are struggling with them to, you know, you need to be here on time. You know, the session starts at, you know, 10 AM don't walk in at 10 to 10 and expect me to be pretty happy. I, you know, we need to be here earlier. We need to set up, you know, we want to talk about through the sessions, just all those, those kind of simple things that, you know, years and years ago just get taken for granted. But now I think that, you know, phones in the gym and, you know, players with wanting to play their own music and just, just those day-to-day challenges that you have. Um, and it's, it's always going to be there. It's probably only going to get worse and it's how you adapt as a, as a, as a coach really. So they're yeah. the big two. Yeah. Cause you could say, Oh, like phone in the gym is a really good example because you could say, all right, no phones in the gym. But then someone says, well, actually, this is where I have my programming or this is where I, you know, you know, a lot of the bar velocity uh, trackers use the phone. So then that's out the window. But how do you stop that from being a distraction and how do you adapt to still? Yeah. So, forward? you know, lots of environments, the gyms in this, in this building and the physio unit or the, the physios are, you know, across the uh, quite far away you can't walk away so you need to keep checking your phone if for example right okay yeah he's coming in he's got you know tight lower back no i don't know low, no lower body or we need to adjust this session or shoulder issues whatever now what happens is i look at my phone because i'm checking the messages from the physios which basically means that that gives people freelance to look at their phones you know other coaches etc etc yeah players it's not too bad you know i'm like you, know, you can put it up on the screens with their programming. Right, this is what we're going to do. I'm, um, I do like paper programming still. I think that's a, it's a great way, especially for injured guys, to see where they're at and build this this huge data pool of like, right, you're injured for eight weeks. Here's eight sheets with all your weeks. Look at the progression you're making. You know, to give them a bit more impetus in in where they're going. And and that's a, that's the problem that we have is that how many whatsapp groups have you got on your phone now and just how many messages do you get and it's just it's it's tough yeah there are so many things that can just pull you out of traction and just pull you into sort of any direction get you distracted and then all of a sudden you're away but i think what you mentioned earlier about being prepared is is the biggest thing though if you can just control what you can control with anything really then you're gonna be on a good path to success yeah, I think our prime example was at London Welsh. We we had this the Marquee Muscle, which was basically a huge tent that was our gym, and a lot of other a lot of other teams have gone off and copied this now. Yeah, and it's ideal because you can put a tent up next to the pitch. So you know, if it's raining, we could do warm ups inside. Boys put their boots on, out they go and train. Well, it's great until there's a gale or a storm, and the whole gym just went and just got lifted up and moved. <laughs> I've yards. always wondered if that would happen. Yeah, so 
you know, we, we rocked up at seven o'clock in the morning and, you know, with a phone call from our intern who's saying we can't use the gym today. It's, you know, it's 40 yards down the pitch. And, and then it's like, right, well, what do we do? It's not a case of what do we do that day? It's a case of like, well, what do we do? How do we, where do we go? Where are we going to train? How are we going to train? What we're going to do? And yeah, all, all hands to pump, you know, boys, your session is moving the weights into the sheds. And that's, that's what we had to do. And again, you prepare as much as you can, but if that happens, you know, what's, what's the next thing you're going to do? Well, okay. Instead of that, we turned it into a bit of conditioning where you strongman circuits, et cetera, et cetera, all these yeah. different types of things. You know, you have to, you have to do something basically. I'm really surprised that that wasn't featured in your biggest challenges that you've overcome. <laughs> the gym being blown away 50 yards down the field. But yeah, I, I mean, that- you adapt, right? it's great to be as we said in an elite environment but especially in rugby if you take it there's a huge gulf between the premiership and the championship not just yeah. in terms of the amount of money the players are paid or etc but just in the facilities that's the you know that's a huge step down where some gym, some teams don't have gyms we were fortunate enough to to be based near to St. Mary's. So then we started using their performance center as, as a great place to train. Oh, it's a nice, and, lovely gym as well. Yeah. And then that comes with its pros and cons. Well, yeah, it's a great gym. We had access to, you know, they're great. They allowed us to use some of their testing equipment because they wanted some testing data, but it's not your gym, you know? So if electric comes in and he's taking a small class, then we have to say, you know, we have to move around where he's doing, or sometimes we'd have to go to commercial gyms with small groups of injured players. Well, again, you know, it's all those types of things that as a coach, you, you sit there and you, you read and you're like, right, well, I can plan my session and do this. And this is how I'm going to periodize it. And then actually when it comes to it, it just gets all put in the bin and you're like, right, actually, what can we do? Yeah. I think that's that's such a such an important thing for like like especially athletes in general, right? Because we all want to control, we all want the perfect program. But you, you even as a you know, even as an amateur athlete or as a just a person that wants to get in shape, you still have to make adapt adaptations every single day. You have to um be as um yeah, just adaptable, I guess. Like and being you kind of have to just improvise as much as you can and you can only improvise effectively if you've got that, that systematic approach and the principles that you want to stick to as opposed to just doing random stuff. Because if you're, if you're just, if you've only got that option of the random thing and then you can't do that, well then there's no real way to adapt. So then you're just going to quit or just going to do something completely different. And again, you're not, you're not sticking to progressing. Um, yeah i think i think my advice to to amateurs out there is that you you need to to assess what you're doing and that doesn't necessarily mean gym testing i think that assesses how am i actually feeling today yeah um we, we need to understand that physical stress and mental stress are stress so if you've been mentally stressed there seems to be this idea that physical activity 
is a huge stress releaser. I yeah, it is. There's no doubt. But do you need to go and put intense physical stress on top of that other stress? And this is something that you know you work with CEOs and they've just done a 12-hour day and whatever it is, high stress, big decisions, wrong decisions, right decisions, and then they want to go out, you know, and do a two-hour intense bike ride and you're like look you're asking for trouble yeah and this is one thing that you know if you want to stay in the the game whether that be training or playing rugby or any sport we all know that consistency wins and this is where i get hung up with this idea of you know the grind the hustle this beast mode i hate it you, you don't you don't have to you can get people don't realize you can get really strong lifting sub maximally you can you can improve maximal strength lifting sub maximally and that's something that I had to try and explain to i'd say eighty five percent of my academy athletes we don't, we don't need to go that close to to you know and yeah we're just ticking along you're just adding that stimulus in you're just you just you know we're not super fatiguing you. So, you know, you see these guys, it's hustle beast. And then the next day you can't walk. Well, what can you do the next day? Nothing. <laughs> the next day you're sore again. You can't do nothing. Well, we've lost two days. We've, we've kind of gone away from a bodybuilding, you know, let's go old school bodybuilding where you're looking at like, right, today is chest, you know, arms, legs, et cetera. So more of, right, we need, we need more stimulus. So we need more frequency. So we can't kill ourselves every time. Yeah. And, I think that's whereby making sure you have a plan is is so important. From an amateur, realistically, you're the person that creates that plan. Whether you nowadays, well, especially look what happened. What's happened in the last you know, month or so? Every every coach is an online coach now. It doesn't really matter. So you've got you can pick from whoever you want to. But you need to have a plan and basically try it, see how it, it goes. And then if you need to, right, it hasn't worked. Well, what's the next next step? Especially now, you, you see people, body weight challenges, doing this, doing that, doing this. And you're like, well, there's no systematic approach. Oh, we, yes. we know We know that we, we, we know this is going to, it's not going to be a, you know, a two week, three week, four week thing. Gyms could be shut for, I don't know, tw- three months, four months, you've got a long time to sit down and plan. And then at the end of the day, if the gyms start opening up again, you know, happy days, back in you go. And I think that's a huge, a huge thing for me. The next thing is, and this is another one of my principles that I've kind of piggybacked on, is this idea of don't force, force the fit. If you cannot do an exercise, you don't need to do an exercise. And what I blame by that, is you see guys bench pressing and trying to do full depth back squats and they're just not atomically built to do that, but they still keep doing it. And you're like, look, you're going to hurt yourself. And that's a big thing. I think that find an exercise that you can do and progressively load it as much as possible. And I think that if you, if you stick to that, you're going to go, a long way in terms of both basically your amateur career and also staying in the game as, as long as possible. Lee, that that's awesome, man. Um, the amount of 
um, tangents or, or things that I want to piggyback off of what you just said basically means that I'm going to have to get you on for another podcast because <laughs> I've got too many points I want to discuss. But I think what you said about like the actually, I want to talk about what you said about the challenges. I fucking hate these challenges. I, I got added to a group yesterday about uh, it was a push up challenge, and I'm just like, why? Like why? And I get it. I guess the the you know the the lame per- layman's person, the person that's just very inactive anyway, and the you know the regular person that hasn't got a bigger goal. You know, it's just something to get them moving. But really, if you're if you're a player that wants to make the most of yourself, or anyone that wants to actually make something of all of this training and actually get somewhere with it, then you need to have some sort of goals and long term plan. And there's no point just doing random shit all the time. It, it drives me up the wall. I think, then, you know, the biggest one for me it from a, and is, is the burpees. I, I, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you see people doing burpees for fun. Now, do you take rugby as well? Basically <laughs> they, they, they enjoy, you know, putting videos of them up. But if you think about rugby and this is where I get in so many dis- discussions with athletes about, Oh, well, this exercise, because it doesn't look like the movement, it's not going to help my performance improve. When in a rugby game, do you end up doing 10 burpees in a row? Never. <laughs> so what's the point of this? Also, I would say majority of the guys that are on this group have probably all got shoulder issues. So yeah. you're putting your shoulders under huge amounts of stress. And there's only one way it's going to go. And the next point is one man and his dog has now decided that they want to go out and do some running. Now, if you're a heavy prop forward, hooker, you know, et cetera, et cetera, running is probably not your best form of conditioning. And if it's something that you're prepared to do or willing to do or want to do, you've got to slowly progress. And the amount of people you see out there just plodding along and they're just going out for a run. And that's, that's a big business thing that I think that, we could all take on board or as coaches, we try to get people to take on board is this idea of reverse engineering. What do you want to achieve? Be as specific as possible and just build it back from there. Yeah. And I think that then if you've got that long-term goal, then there's not that urgency to do that hustle and grind and all that absolute nonsense. And I think, um, especially in terms of the actual training itself for rugby, like, Rugby is like massively aerobic. Like de- the more aerobically developed you are as a rugby player, to a, to a massive extent, the better you're going to be in terms of your conditioning. And but people don't ever, I, I, you know, it's so unfortunately rare when I see people actually focus on aerobic qualities when they're doing their conditioning training for rugby. And I think if you if you're all and and that also goes back to your you know stress um, point that you made earlier about if you're really stressed, then doing some light stuff, which is only aerobic, isn't only going to just benefit you in terms of it's not compounding more stress on top of more stress, but it's actually going to develop your heart muscle. It's actually going to um, allow you to be a better conditioned athlete. And I think we like, it's such an easy thing for rugby guys to sort of just gloss over because they want to work harder all the time. And, and especially guys that listen to this, so, you know, you're listening to a podcast to become a better rugby athlete, to learn how to train better. Most people want to listen to this, want to know how to train harder, want to do things more hard, like more, make things more difficult and more challenging for themselves. But actually, that's 
sort of the opposite sometimes of what you want to do. And that goes back to full circle, goes back to our essentialism, what we were talking about before as well, right? Yeah. You know, I think that aerobic development, especially now, think about it. If, if rugby is your sport, you've got a huge opportunity now to really spend some time developing your aerobic system. And what we know is that it's, it's quite easy to develop your aerobic. And what I mean by that is that there's a limit with your anaerob- anaerob- anaerobic system, you know, whether you're kind of how you're genetically made, et cetera, et cetera. But from an aerobic development point of view, you know, it's a huge area where people could be spending some time. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it, and I think that's because people see it as, if you don't walk out of the gym or you, if you don't finish that run and you're absolutely, you know, you're dead, you're dying, you can't breathe, et cetera, et cetera, that it's, it's not going to de- develop your system. And it, it's the biggest load of crap ever. Yeah. Awesome. Lee, this has been great. Um, I enjoyed the fact that we've, we've gone kind of deep in the philosophical side of things, but we've also given some really good practical advice. Um, where can people find out more about you and follow, follow on from uh, this podcast and find out more about what you do and get in, t- get in touch? So I really have two, two things. Um, Instagram is probably the, the best way. So my personal account is Lee underscore Eldridge SC. And also the other one is at the athlete tribe, um, which is something that you know I've, I've been working on and to try and kind of take some learnings from, some from everywhere basically and they're the two easiest ways that people can can find me good i'm I'm glad you didn't say twitter because people when people say twitter i just get annoyed because it's just it that is a you talk about stress (laughs) (laughs) everyone on there's dicks i don't know why but yeah all right cool I'll, i'll put those all in the show notes and uh people go give them a follow super interesting stuff super knowledgeable and um like i'm sure you'll you'll get more out of it with them than the time it took to just to click that follow button i'm sure and, and as i said lee I th- i'm pretty sure we're gonna have to get you back on because this is really interesting I, 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 you know if the listeners didn't <laughs> didn't love it then i i've had a great time selfishly so i look forward to doing the next one no worries you're welcome thanks for coming all right thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed that episode of the rugby muscle podcast then i've got a quick little request and a potential prize giveaway for you if you do said request all i want you to do is go to apple Podcasts and type up a five star review just your general opinions of the podcast would be great feedback but also helps us reach higher rankings get more exposure allow me to attract more guests and devote more time to developing a better all-around podcast experience for you all you have to do once again is go and give us a five-star review on whatever podcast service you use let me know that you've got it and then every single week i'll be selecting one review to give away a free prize that free prize will be either one free month of team rugby muscle that's our world-class strength condition program app delivered directly to your phone or if that doesn't interest you then we've got one free consultation where i'll, I'll go over your training program your nutrition and advise you how to best plan for your goals Even if none of those things interest you, it's still doing me a solid and helping the podcast grow by going and giving us a five-star review. There's no real excuse. It takes like one minute and that helps the show exponentially. So I'd really appreciate if you could do that. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you in the next one.